Let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we'll begin uh, reading uh, at verse number one, one through verse six. But before we get there, I want to read something that someone sent to me uh, the other day, and I thought it was a real blessing, so I want to share it with you. It talks about made for community. It says, have you ever worked in a group with other people who only slow progress? It says, a lot of people actually prefer working alone so that they can manage priorities the way they want. While this may be a good method, in some cases, it's not usually the best way to live. From the very beginning of creation, God created us to be in relationship with other people. We are created for community and friendship, and God intended for us to work together and help each other through life. He says, and yet, a lot of people live their life in isolation from others. They believe that as long as they have Jesus, they don't need nobody else. But you and Jesus can't make it through life alone. You were created to share life with others. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that there are many things that one person cannot do alone. We need others to help us when we fall. We need others to encourage us when we're down. We need people to accomplish tasks in life that are greater than us. Most people who have gone through difficult seasons of life wish there had been someone to walk alongside them. We long for connection and community. This is how God designed us. We were created to share the burdens of life together. He goes on to say, God created the church to be a community of people who all love God and love others. When we find community within the people of God, we will also find people who can walk through life together with us. You don't have to walk through life alone. God has provided other people to help you alone, and you are also called to help those in your life. Take some time today to thank God for the friends and community he has given you. Thank God for each of them by name. As they come to mind, be sure to let them know that you appreciate their friendship in your life. Seek out ways that you can continue to build a healthy community of friends. Our real blessings often appear to us in the shape of pains, losses, and disappointments. That's what Joseph Addison. I thought that was a real uh, great read because we are created for community, authentic community. That's something that we learn in our new members class, right? Talking about the value of community, the value of doing life together with others. Now, I know, I know that we have many of you all who are just like that person uh, says, I got Jesus. I don't need nobody else. I used to be one of those people who said, I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. But the reality is that's not true. Because if I am going to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I am going to to do what God had told me and you to do, all of us who are born again believers, I can't afford, Dr. O, to try to live my life by myself. Because if how am I going to evangelize if I never talk to anybody? How am I going to help disciple somebody if I stay in my house all the time? And don't let nobody come to my house. And don't let you get close to my house. Because I like being alone in my house. That won't work. So I've learned over the years, I've learned over the years that it's critically important that each one of us make ourselves available to live in authentic community. To live life together with fellow church members, fellow believers, so that we can encourage one another, we can walk this life together, and we can strengthen one another 
especially when we're going through those valley experiences, when we're going through those hard times, we need somebody to pray with us, to call and encourage us. Just come and just be there and give us a hug. You ain't got to sit there. Just come and just, just look at me and just give me a hug. Mm. We need that. We need authentic community. So don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you can do this and God designed you to do this life alone. We were created for authentic community. Everybody say, I was created for authentic community. So Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we've been talking about the discipline of the church we started off on last week. We've been pulling some nuggets from the study in the book of Hebrews, which we will wrap up on this coming Wednesday. And there's some, some nuggets from this book that I think are very, very important for each one of us to grasp and have a spiritual understanding of what it means for our individual lives. Because when you come to church, uh, when you come to midweek service, Bible study, whatever, you should always come with the mindset of what am I going to take away from this message and apply to my life? What am I what, what is this message causing uh, what is it pulling on me to do differently than what I'm doing right now? And so I pray, I pray to God that as we go through here, that it changes your mindset. It changes your, your outlook on life. It just what I read a while ago should change your, your approach to doing life together with other people. Y'all been hearing me say it over and over again. And as we begin to put things in place to give you a, a pathway to do that, don't step back from it. Amen. Because it's easy to learn this stuff and have a mental awareness of it. But what God is after and what I am your pastor after is all of us being doers and not hearers only. Because when we hear it and don't do it, we're actually in self-deception. Amen. So Hebrews 12 and we're going to go down verses 1 through 6. I'm talking about the discipline of the church today. Are you all with me today? Let's go. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. He's seated on the right hand of the Father in a place of honor, making intercessions for us. That, that's where Jesus is right now. The Holy Spirit, the third uh, person of the Godhead, abides on the inside of us. And we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, fill me, Holy Spirit. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then that means that we're being controlled by the Spirit. We're doing life under his control and under his influence rather than us being on the throne. How many of y'all have, have, have uh, in your life as a believer have had a tussle with the Holy Spirit before? In other words, when I say a tussle, you, you know that he's tugging on your heart. He's pulling on you to do a certain thing, but you still want to do it your way. Am I not the one that have had some of those battles? Well, I had to pray through my uh, my wanting to be on the throne, my wanting to do life my way, my wanting to do marriage my way, my wanting to do everything my way. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is nudging me. He's giving me the unction. He's giving me the direction. But I still sometimes want to do it my way. I just need two or three witnesses here who will be honest with me and, and say, Pastor, you know what? I, 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 uh, 
I, I'm in the same boat with you sometimes. When he wants me to do something that I'm uncomfortable doing, I kind of take a step back. And I tell myself, I got to pray some more. When I really know what he's telling me to do, he told me to go over there and meet that person. He told me to go over there and restore that relationship. But I, I, I keep saying, I, I, I blame, how many of you folks blame it on prayer? I got to pray some more. I, I ain't heard the Lord. Yeah, you heard him. I just want to know, am I the only one? See, the Holy Spirit is trying to, to lead us. But let me tell you something. Uh, he, he will... He will lead, he will guide, he will give you the option. He'll give you a message from me. Yeah? He'll give, he'll give you a message from me, and then when you ignore me, you go home, he'll give a message to, to your child. Even your little child spoke the word to you before, right? So God will use people, he'll use circumstances, he'll use situations to try to get his message across to us, and we have to learn how to yield our will to the will of the Father to the will of the Holy Spirit. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. He's writing to the Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution because of their stance for Christ. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were actually being ostracized. They were being disowned by their families because they made a decision to follow Jesus. And when you really follow Jesus, guys, let me tell you something. Everybody's not going to be comfortable around you. Especially people who you should do stuff with. And I will even say even family members aren't so comfortable around you when you start to live this stuff. Sometimes holidays can get a little, a little antsy, can get a little dicey, if you will, because you're trying to live the life that you read about and you study about in the Holy Scriptures and you have some family members who go to church, who are officers in churches, but they're not really, they really don't want to live this out away from the church. And it's, it tends to cause problems because now you're standing on truth. And let me tell you something, when you stand on truth, everybody's not happy about that. Society and culture is not happy about when we stand on the truth of God's word as it relates to some of these cultural issues that we're dealing with today. But I'm here to tell you, as a born-again believer who loves God, as a born-again believer who's been saved by Jesus, I have made a covenant commitment with God that I will stand on truth no matter what. Can we keep reading? <laughs> Look at verse number four with me right quick. Let's go. It says, after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Okay? It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's, don't make light of the Lord's, of the whose discipline? The Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Now I need you to focus on that because as we go through this, you will have the tendency, if you're not careful, to think this is not to you. Because after all, you, you, you're, you're a grown man. After all, you're a full-grown woman, and you don't really need anybody telling you how to live life. You're the very one we're talking about right now. <laughs> Listen to what he says. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. Now, sometimes it's, it's difficult um, when you're being disciplined by someone who's an authority figure if you're not careful, you'll start to uh, 
come at the authority figure as if the authority figure was the actual problem. If any of y'all have ever played sports and been on a team, uh, when you're on a team, you, you have to uh, adhere to the authority of the coach that you're up under. Correct? Some people don't do that very well. Some people think that they know more than the coach. Some parents think they know more than the coach. Some parents will try to coach the game themselves until you put them out there to coach. They don't know, they don't know a, a flat from a, 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 from a deep third. If you don't know what I'm talking about, keep moving. You, you don't know football very well, do you? you? You don't know a baseline from a half court line. But yet still, you watch the game. I've watched it before. I've watched it. I know how to coach it. Watching and coaching are two different things. A coach has to bring a group of 110 individuals on a college football team together to try to get them to work in concert for one common goal. When all of them individually have their own individual goals. So how in the world do you get everybody to work in synchronization to get the goal of winning the football game and make that a priority in their life and doing your part? It's hard. Unless you have people who are willing to submit to leadership and do what they're asked to do, what they've been trained to do. And sometimes when they don't do that, discipline has. How many of y'all ever had to run extra laps if you played sports because Everybody didn't do what they were supposed to do. And you mad at the one who, who, was, who was lagging. And everybody had to run because that person was lagging. And that discipline, when, you, when, when the discipline came from the coach in that matter, it, you could get mad at the coach and inside you want to quit because I'm tired of running. Or you can suck it up and say, listen, this is going to help us to be mentally tough because a lot of times in today's society, people aren't mentally tough. They don't know how to persevere through. They don't know how to, they don't know how to press their way through. Uh, and learn how to, to, as the Bible says, persevere. To, to persevere means to hang in there even when it gets a little tough. So, so, watch it. Let me keep moving. Uh, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Next verse says this. For the Lord does what? Disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his what? As his child. Look at verse number seven. Watch this now. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who, who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Mm. Everybody says a small one, didn't it? Look, look at what the scripture says. Next verse, verse 8, let's read. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So what are you getting at, Brother Pastor? Watch this. If you can sin and do whatever you want to do and there's no consequences coming your way, maybe other than the consequences of that decision that you made, because, listen, I say it all the time. You're big enough, you can make your own decision. You, you get to choose what you're going to do. I can't stop you. You, you. you can choose to do right or you can choose to do wrong. You get to choose what you want to do, but you oftentimes don't get to choose the consequences of what you did. Right? There are consequences to every decision that we make. If I go out right now and write a check for 
more money than what I have in my bank account and do that over and over again, how many of you know there's consequences? As a matter of fact, when I was in banking, Yvonne, we had something where everybody could even open a checking account. Because if you didn't handle your well in the past, they had something called check systems. That they would check to see how you handle your checking account. If you, brought, if, if you wrote a bunch of hot checks, y'all know what a hot check is? In the days of, uh, of electronic transactions, some of our young people don't know what a hot check is. Can somebody tell me what a hot check is? That's a check that is written and there are insufficient funds in that bank account to cover that check that you just wrote. If you write too many of those, the next bank won't open an account for you. Oh, y'all listen to me. Because you chose to write it, but you didn't get to choose the consequences of writing those hot checks. Y'all with me today? All right, so let's keep moving. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers, verse 9, who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our, verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Everybody says always good. So we might share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained. For those who are what? Those who are trained in this way, in this way, in the Lord's discipline. Now, we, 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 I told you that, that as a family of faith, we have to recognize that we are subject to the Lord's discipline. As a member of the body of Christ, we saw uh, Paul extolling the Corinthian church about their lack of exercise in discipline. Now, uh, in your outline, I told you that uh, the principle of discipleship are threefold. First, we are to go. Second, we are to baptize. And finally, we are to teach. Everybody say, go, go. baptize, go. teach. And we said, as we sum it all up, we are to win them. We must identify them and we must train them. We must train those who come into the body of Christ. All of us need to be trained in the ways of God. All of us need to be discipled. Another word for training is being discipled. And I told you the average church does a mediocre job at that. And we got to get better at it, too. The problem, I think, the church in America is, is, that, is that we have very uh, adept and uh, sufficient in our discipling process. And discipleship involves your commitment and your willingness to submit to the authority of the house that you're under. Because whenever, whenever you come and unite with a local church congregation, what you're saying at that point in time is, is that Holy Spirit, and I always ask everybody that comes, did the Holy Spirit lead you here? And if you feel like in your, in your, in your, in your Noah of knowers, in, in the very depths of your soul, you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to this place, then at that point in time, when you make that commitment to be a part of that local church, you submit yourself to the authority of that house. Just like when you t- decide to take a job, right? When you take a job, a place of employment, you, you decide to submit yourselves to the authorities at that job. As long as they're telling you 
to do what's right and not what's wrong, then you are obligated to follow that management team that's managing that company, even if you don't agree with how they are managing it. If you're still cashing that check, you have an obligation to follow the lead of that management team or the person who you report to. Am I right about it? As a matter of fact, God even holds us accountable for how we work. And so, 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 but too many of us have made the, the erroneous analogy that I got to do it my way. You can do it your way when you are in charge of your thing. Right? And if it's your company, you do it your way. And, 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 and the, the market or the, the clients will tell you if you're doing it well enough or not. Because you're not doing it well enough. If you, don't, if you think you can cook, but you can't cook, you can have all the fancy signs you want, all of the decor that you want in that restaurant, but if the food lasts, I ain't coming back. I love you, but your seasoning just don't... Right? I tell you before, y'all have saw those folks who, who uh, think they can cook, but they can't. And every year at the Thanksgiving dinner, they stuff still over in the bowl. You ever wonder why they stuff still in the bowl? Okay, I, I, I didn't mean to get anybody uh, on edge because it's Christmas dinner coming up and now some of y'all like. My point is this. Guys, we have to submit to authority. So when it comes to us as believers, God, um, to get us to the point where he wants us to be, he has to take us through a process of discipline. If we belong to him, he will discipline us. Oftentimes, what God will do first and foremost is to bring a word to you. Because bringing a word to you, a word of I don't say a word of correction, but uh, sometimes sometimes we're doing stuff we don't know is wrong. So he brings a word to tell you that what you did there is wrong. I know you didn't realize it, but now that we executed the text, we, we saw what was happening and, and, and we took it in context. And now we realize that that act that I was doing was not in line with God's will. So now that I understand it, then now I got to make a course correction. I got to begin to do that, which I've learned in the Holy Scriptures. Now, we said on last week, we said that when we do these things, uh, some things that we should not do when we have to confront or when conflict arises, because invariably, because people don't really understand church discipline, when you come to them and talk about some of these things, it could, it could result in some conflict. So we got to learn how to handle conflict the right way. Here's some things that we should not do. Everybody said, don't do it. Number one, we say what? Don't bury the problem or the pain that it's causing. So many times in families, in churches, in businesses, in schools, on on football teams or whatever, we sit around and we know that there's a problem, there's an issue that's causing pain, but we won't say anything because we're afraid it's going to what? Hurt somebody's feelings. And we'll let that thing go on and on and on. It's been ineffective, knowing that it's not what God wants, knowing what it's not, it's not the most efficient way to do it, but we won't say anything because we're afraid it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Learn, don't bury the problem or the pain that it's causing, okay? 
The answer to any conflict, the answer to any church discipline problem is not to ignore it. Okay, y'all with me? Don't bury the problem, the pain is called. Number two, don't let confrontation, I told you on last week, digress into an attack on the other person's character. Y'all with me? Don't start, deal with the problem. Don't call people's names. All right? Sometimes it's just a matter of saying, you know what, brother, sister, I know you're giving your very best, but that's not really being effective in what we're trying to accomplish as a ministry team. We got to do something differently. Now, if you're getting mad because the fact that what you're doing is not being effective, then there's a problem that you got to deal with on the inside of you. Because anybody who, 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 um, who is, I don't say touchy feely or, or not mature enough to receive correction needs to grow a little bit. Okay, need to grow a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, if 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 what I'm doing is not effective, if if it's not reaching, if it's not uh, uh, doing what God designed, I want to change it. Now, here's the problem that we have, and y'all know this too. Many of us don't like change. And the older we get, we got to be very careful about being stuck in our ways. Can I help somebody up in here today? We get stuck in our ways. It happens with churches. I think I'm going to share this with y'all. Can I share it with you right quick again? We get, we're going, we're going. Uh, y'all better put my time with that, brother, because I may go a little bit longer than I need to go. Okay, so, all right. They were talking about, uh, uh, they did a, a survey and they, and they looked at, they, they looked at, did some research on churches that had closed their doors, okay? That had closed their doors, that, that shut down. And, and they, they, there were five things that were very common amongst these churches that had shut down. They were no longer in existence. You know, churches do go out of business. Local churches do go out of business. Some of them die out, literally die out, okay? Five things, five lessons they learned. Number one, the churches, all of them was, had these common traits. Number one, the churches had no ongoing effort to reach the unchurched in the community to become the church. In other words, they had no ongoing effort to go out and reach the community, not only just to serve them, you know, by giving them food and clothing, but to reach them, to bring them into the body. In other words, the evangelism program was not very strong. Evangelism was not front of mind. Their front of mind was Let's just keep doing church. We've been doing church this way. And I'm, I like what we do in church, and, and we're going to always do church this way. All right, number one, listen carefully. The churches had no ongoing effort to reach the unchurched in the community to become the church, okay? Many of the churches, again, had good ministries to their community, but they were not intentional. Listen to this. They were not intentional about inviting them and getting them to become a part of the worship and small group gatherings of the church. So it's good to have outreach, but we're not just doing outreach to do outreach. We're doing outreach to invite people, intentionally invite them to come and be a part of the worship experience. So number two, the pandemic increased the pace of decline and ultimately the death of the churches. Again, the pandemic didn't change the trends of the churches. They just exacerbated them. They, they just sped them up. A lot of these churches were dying anyhow. Y'all with me? Number three, the leaders hit... Listen to this third one. 
the leaders and members of the churches were in denial. The leaders and the members of the churches were in denial. They refused to confront their reality. And many of them, if they did, it was often too late. They waited too late to confront their reality. They didn't realize they were dying on the vine. But they were having church. Fourth thing. The churches did not have new members classes to set expectations. They did not have new members to set expectations. Most of the deceased churches did not have a new members class at all. The few that had such classes only provided information. They didn't use the class to set expectations. One of the things that we do, we go through five, uh, five components in our new members class. It, t- it takes about six or seven weeks because we want you to know what we believe. We want you to know what it means to have authentic community. We want, we want you to know what it means to worship. We want you to know what it means to give, to support the work of ministry. We want you to be aware of that so that at the end of that six, seven weeks, if you want to change your mind, no hard feelings. And I promise you it's not. Because I want you to know this is not about this coming and gathering. It's about us being servants of the Most High God. Are y'all with me? So the churches did not have new members class to set expectation. And the fifth thing was the churches kept waiting for the silver bullet. In other words, the most common silver bullet was let's get a new pastor who's going to turn things around for us. The second most common silver bullet was let's get a new youth or children's minister who would do all the work to reach the young people. In other words, the members desired to abdicate their ministry responsibility and pay someone else to do it. Now, listen to me. There's a place of paid staff, but you know, most ministry is done by unpaid staff. It's done by those who are part of the team who come together and say, God, use me how you want to use me. Use me in my area of gifting so that I can be a part of this ministry at EBC to help them reach the, the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want, y'all can hear me talk about these, these trends. I want, I want you to be aware that if you just sit here and do things like we've always done, it, the message will never change. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, and resurrected out on Calvary's hill. That's what get us saved, but I met this must change. If we're going to reach this untoward generation, if we're going to reach a generation that's out there now, a culture right now that don't believe in the Bible is God's word. If we keep on doing ministry what we did in 1975, it will not work. The message is still the same, but our method and how we reach and be intentional in reaching people with the gospel must change. We must be. And therein lies some of our problems. I know my own individual life, God has to push me. Sometimes he has to pressure me to change things. How about you? Sometimes major changes don't come until something drastic happens. If the truth be told, and I, I believe in telling the truth. If the truth is told, many of us will not stop doing what we're doing unless something tragic, forceful happens. Give you an illustration. I just hope this doesn't offend anybody because I'm talking about me too. Okay? Some people didn't change their eating habits until they had a heart attack. 
or till some sickness came. Some dude didn't stop cheating till he got caught. Until it blew up. Because he kept telling himself, just one more time. I ain't hurt nobody. How you figure you're not hurting anybody? So we tell ourselves these stories. What I'm doing is not that bad. You know, just consenting adults. Nobody's been hurt. I'm, I'm just. Didn't stop writing those checks. Didn't stop spending until bankruptcy happened. Y'all with me? Wouldn't it be better to, 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 to see the Lord's hand in our life, to accept his discipline and make the course correction? I'll tell you about me. I, I, I've learned that when I take care of it, God don't have to tell That just went over somebody else's head, didn't it? Do you not realize when we judge it ourselves, what am I mean by judging myself? When I look at my life and I see where I'm going wrong and I make a course correction, then I don't have to endure the discipline of the Lord. The Bible backs me up on that. When I recognize because of my study, because of the preach word, uh, when I, whenever I recognize where I'm going wrong and I make the correction, I judge it myself. So the Lord don't have to come in and judge me and deal with me and discipline me. I'm going to tell y'all something. The Lord's whipping don't feel too good. I mean, I, I thank God because it gives me, it gives me a, a, a confidence that I belong to him because the Bible says if he don't discipline me, I ain't his. I'm a bastard child. That was not a curse word. Okay. I'm using KJV English. If we judge it, he doesn't have to judge it. In other words, if we acknowledge it, make the course correction, repent of it, then now God will have to come in and discipline us. And I'm telling you, that's much better than having to go through the discipline of the Lord. Are y'all with me today? All right, can I keep moving? All right, so, so um, third thing we told you is uh, don't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, or name calling. Don't generalize or exaggerate. When you use any of these in an argument or in a conflict, it completely changes the focus of the, of the, of the situation, causing the other person to defend themselves or make excuses. In other words, if I'm a member of a church and I know a believer has fallen off, there's something I got to correct. Though, if I do like Matthew 18 tells me to go to him one on one, I got to go to him with the right spirit, with the right mindset. I'm not going in condemning. I'm going in with the idea that, that, that I'm coming to, to help assist this brother or sister get out of this ditch that they're in. And I would hope that if they saw me in the same ditch or another ditch, they would come to me and help get me out of it. Hear me carefully. Discipline is always, it always at its very root and core, restoration. It's about restoring. It's about getting us back to our place in God. It's never about punishment. It's about restoring a person. When I shared with you about the, the guy in, in Corinth, it was about confronting him so that, 
so that so that uh, he would be uh, 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 saved, so that he would be uh, back in his proper place. And, and, and by all indication, when you read the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, by all accounts, this man was restored. But in order to to get him out of what he was in, because sometimes, hear me carefully, sometimes you can be so far gone into what you're doing, you can get so wrapped up into your sin, you can't even tell the between right and wrong. Huh? Come on, you start justifying your own. I'm not even asking you to raise your hand, but how many of y'all have justified some wrong in your life, and then you you, 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 try, you told yourself that, yeah, I did this because. Okay, y'all with me? All right, so, so understand this. Church discipline is all about love and restoration. It's not about condemning you. It's not about saying I'm better than you because I'm not, or you better than me because you're not. It's about us. Walking in authentic community together and helping restore each other and get each other back on track. Let me tell y'all something. One of the one of the things that I thank God for, I thank God for the mindset to see people the way God sees people. And you you, you say, well, what are you what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, here's what I I, I know, and this is coming straight from Doyle Adams' heart. If you messed up. Your mess up don't cause me to stop dealing with you. Let me say it again. Your mess up doesn't cause me to start looking at you in a different light from the standpoint of as if you can't be used by God any longer. I thank God for that. Because there are a lot of people who when they know your mess up, they don't want to fool with you anymore. But I thank God for that clarity because we need that type of clarity when we go to restore somebody. We don't go to restore, restore them with the, with the mindset we're going to condemn you to hell. No, no, no. We're coming because we love you and we want to be a part of God's disciplinary process to get you back on track. Y'all with me? But when I come, I can't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, name calling. I'm not going to generalize and, and exaggerate. Number four, watch this. Don't enter conflict with a condescending or know-it-all attitude. When you're going to help restore somebody, don't have a condescending or know-it-all attitude. Go to Galatians 6 chapter, verses 1 and 2 with me right quick. Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2. Hallelujah. Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2. Now watch this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin. Look at what it says. Let's read together. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Notice what he says. You who are godly, you who are spiritual should how? Gently and with the spirit of humility help that person back onto the right path. So as we talk about this concept of of, of conflict or dealing with an issue, uh, because I promise you, when you go to somebody, if that person's not prayed up, it's going to be a little little, little testing sometimes. 
Well, who are you? Well, I'm just your brother in Christ. I'm your sister in Christ who's here to help walk with you because we, if we're going to be authentic, we got to be authentic. We can't be authentic, you're going to lie to me. How's that being authentic if you're lying? And you know, you know, you know, I know that you know I know you're lying. We can't be authentic if we're not going to be honest with each other. But listen, listen, listen to what I'm telling you now. Watch this because I don't want some of y'all to go out of here and with your Bible in your hand and now you go, you go tear somebody up. The Lord's discipline has phases. In that, and and, and God, God will go even as far as, and we saw it in Scripture, we saw it, we look at it in Ananias and Sapphire. God will, it, it, when the occasion is right, his discipline could include the death of a, of a believer. Yeah. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and be careful falling into the same temptation yourself. Why? But for the grace of God, there go I. I need y'all to hear my heart today. Because if we're going to be authentic with each other, if we're going to study together in small groups, if we're going to have time to talk to each other about what, what we're going through, we've got to have some authenticity and we've got to know how to do this stuff. Don't throw people away because they're walking through a struggle right now. Walk with them through it. Now, the guy in 1 Corinthians was bold, unrepentant, and was still doing this stuff and didn't care so Paul said, deal with him. Paul said, Paul wasn't even there. Paul said, I've already judged this dude. You need to get him out of your fellowship. I don't think a situation should ever get to that point to where somebody's that robust and, and rebellious and they sin. And this was something that the whole church community knew about, even the world knew about it. But the church didn't say anything about it. Okay? Because we got to watch this. I told you on last week. Uh, many of us th- think that you know, we, we shouldn't judge sin. We should judge sin. We're not judging the persons whether or not they belong to God or not. That's up to God. But we do, we do judge the sin. All right, y'all with me? And be, be careful not to fall into the same temptation you said. Look at verse number two. Let's go. Come on. It says this. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. When you share the burden, that means that you're sharing that that that. that that pitfall that person was involved in, you happen to restore them to get them out of that. Now, your pitfall may be different than my pitfall, but it's a pitfall. Let me back up. I don't even want to say pitfall. That's not, we, we like the nice stuff. Your sin may be different than my sin, but it's, it's still sin. Okay? Because y'all know we like to dress stuff up, don't we? We don't like it to sound as bad as it really is, but sin hurts the heart of God. And I don't care who we are. You, me, whoever. It hurts the heart of God. But we don't like to say it like it is. No, you lied. You didn't just, oh, I just had trouble expressing myself. No, you didn't. I asked you, did you go? You said no, but you, that ain't trouble expressing yourself. That's, you lied. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It wasn't as bad as, it, as I thought it was. Call it what it is. Yeah. 
You gossip. You said you talked about another member and didn't go to the member themselves like the Bible told you. And you had an art with them. So you start telling everybody else about the member, but you didn't go to him one on one. You were wrong. If you were going to be biblical, be biblical. Well, you know, I just didn't even want to start. You starting stuff by telling everybody else about it. Don't you see that? Rather than going and dealing with it in, in the right way. Okay. All right. So share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. All right. So, so don't enter a conflict with a condescending or know-it-all attitude. Number five, don't let the conflict spill over into other issues. When you're dealing with an issue, when you're dealing with a church discipline problem, don't start talking about stuff that has nothing to do with what you're dealing with. And we're famous for that, right? <laughs> I know it may be tempted to bring up other issues, but keep your, keep, keep your, keep this, the, the confrontation or the, the argument based focus on the issue that's causing the conflict. It's caused the, the, uh, the discord between you and the other brothers who's in Christ. Okay? Stay focused on the issue. Don't go into other stuff. How many of y'all who are married have, have had this happen in your relationship? You start talking about one thing and then you bring up something from 10 years ago. 10 years ago. 20 years ago. Where did that come from? I thought we were dealing with this issue right here. But no, we got to talk about this. Wait a minute. That was 20 years ago. So evidently we didn't get it solved 20 years ago because maybe we didn't know how to do this stuff 20 years ago. That's why we still bring it up 20 years later. Learn how to process, learn how to deal with emotional hurt, learn how to not ignore this stuff, but deal with it in a godly fashion and you can get beyond it. When you learn how to press through it, talk through it, pray through it, don't ignore it. If you messed up, I know it's hurtful to keep talking about it, but that person may still be hurt. Let them talk. Y'all keep discussing it. If they ask the same question, tell the truth a thousand times. And don't say, well, you know, that's enough. I ain't talking about it no more. Well, you're the one. If you hadn't did that, we wouldn't be talking about that. If you hadn't hurt that person like you hurt them, they wouldn't have to process these emotional hurts right now. So don't run away from it because you're the one who messed it up. Man up, woman up, go to Lord in prayer and answer the questions. Now they may ask you the question five, six different ways because you lied the last time. They won't see if you're going to lie this time. So they ask you the same question five different ways. They just testing to see if you're going to tell the truth. Am I helping anybody in here? Number six, never use ultimatums or threats. When you do, you end up backing the person in the corner. And when that happens, they may just come out swinging. Figuratively and literally. (laughs) See, when you do that, it changes the focus from the issue at hand and instead makes the threat of the ultimatum the focus. Okay? Stick with the issue at hand. Number number seven, don't use disrespectful body language or demeaning nonverbal communication. Is this happen? Don't use disrespectful body language. You know you can talk with, you can talk, you have something that's called nonverbal communication. And when you're communicating with somebody, look them in the eye. Look them in the eye. How many of y'all have trouble looking people in the eyes? Look them in the eye. 
speak in, 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 in the right tone, talk through the issue, don't raise your voice, but deal with the issue. I'm hoping it's helping somebody. I sense that some of y'all struggle with this. Some of, I'm not going to say y'all, some of us as believers struggle with this. Hello? How many of y'all, like I am sometimes, when I'm trying to get my point across, sometimes my voice raises or elevates? I mean, I, I don't mean in, in, in a, I have to, I have to, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to, as if the louder you talk, the more clear you become. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, the louder you talk, don't make you, just rearrange your words, say it in a more clear fashion. I, the, <laughs> so you have to work on those kind of things because if you start yelling, if you start elevating your voice, then the person becomes defensive. Then they'll say stuff like, who you think you're talking to? Am I right about it? I'm trying to help some Christians in here because I know this stuff goes on in your home, on your job, and we got to learn how to handle it the right way. Y'all sit and looking all holy and looking nice. I know some of y'all are cussed to tar off the road if given half a chance. I'm just trying to help. Just trying to help. Y'all are looking all nice and, and holy. Mm-hmm. Just let you loose for a little bit. So now you know. Now you have no excuse. I'm teaching you so that when you go away from here, when you go in your own little corner, go back to your own little home, wherever you are, then I hope this word resonates. I hope you take those notes back with you so that when you start talking or dealing with an issue, my, my voice comes into your head. And then my voice will be telling you, don't cuss. Don't cuss. Don't raise your voice. Just listen. Allow them to finish saying what they're saying. I mean, I, sometimes I, listen, I'm, I'm, I don't, I, I've never been a cursor. You understand me? But I have been an interrupter. You could ask my wife. My wife says, you know what? <laughs> she told me to tell you, know, when you tell your story, sometimes it seems like you're always the hero in the story. <laughs> so, Mararia, I'm telling on myself today. So you got the mic, you're always the hero when we're talking about me and you. No, 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 listen, I need y'all to hear me. I don't do everything right in our relationship. In other words, when, we, when it's come to handling problems sometimes, sometimes if I'm not careful, my voice starts to raise or I'll interrupt. But then I, I usually, you can actually, I, I promise you, I usually, okay, she said I'm doing this again. I usually catch myself. <laughs> all right, but, but, but we all have to work on this and be mindful that when we're dealing with an issue, there's a proper way to do it. Are y'all with me today? All right, here, here's number eight. This one I was just talking about. Don't interrupt. And the other part, don't use disrespectful. Don't roll your eyes. Don't shake your head. Don't slap your forehead. Don't say something. That's dumb. Wait a minute. How that person feel is how they feel. 
quit saying it's dumb and, 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 and disregarding how they feel. They may feel a certain thing, but they feeling may not be right, but it's true feelings. So a lot of them express their feelings because you don't want, you're not going to know how they really feel until they tell you how they really feel. I remember this. Uh, it was something that's real simple. I think I shared it with y'all before. Uh, I, and I, I remember it so vivid. I knew exactly where we were. We were coming off of 220, get ready to turn on Benton Road, head north toward Benton. And Maria and I were talking about something. It was kind of a, we call heated fellowship. Y'all know what heated fellowship is? It was Heady Fellowship. And she started telling me, uh, you know, uh, how she felt. I said, that's, that's, that, that don't make sense. You, you shouldn't feel that way. And that's the way she felt. The situation caused her to feel a certain way. And I should have just listened to how she felt. Because how she felt was going to give me a window into how we can resolve this thing. But if I'm sitting there saying, don't. That, that's, that's crazy to feel that way. And when I said that's crazy to feel that way, it's, it's like something broke her heart. And she started crying. And you know how I, fe- I felt Lord in the snake's belly then, Jeff. And I, I didn't think I'd call out, said anything wrong, but, I, but, 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 but what, I, what I did was I dismissed her feelings. Okay? Y'all with me? And that's not good. I need to hear her feelings. And even though I, her feelings may not have been an adequate representation of what had happened, it may have been. It's been a long time ago. I don't, I don't even know what the argument was, but I remember we were on 220 on the way to Benton. And I said that, and she cried, and I felt lowered in the snake's belly. And man, I, 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 I sat there and I said, we got to get this right. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, listen, I can't live the one who's going to live like that. I'm not going to stay in the same house with somebody and we fighting like cats and dogs. I just refuse to do that. Life is too short and I'm too saved to live like that. How, how is it that born again believers can't live right, can't have joy, can't have happiness? We're supposed to know how to do this thing. So we got to start doing it, okay? So don't interrupt. Let the person say what he or she wants to say. Let them get it all out. Stay focused on what they're saying. Nod your head to show you that you're paying attention. Show patience. Control your tongue. That's going to show you value of the other person. And because you listen carefully to their concerns, it will make them much more receptive to your genuine concerns and thoughts. If you won't listen to them, they're probably not going to listen to you. So now when you're dealing with a church issue, when you're dealing with a, 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 a discipline issue, when you go to somebody, you got to go to them the right way. Hear them out. Okay? But don't interrupt. Number nine. Again, here's go. Don't raise your voice. Go to Proverbs 15 and 1. Proverbs 15 and 1. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Am I helping anybody today? Now, when we deal with these things, now, listen to me carefully. Because, see, some of y'all, some Christians, I don't say some of y'all, I got to stop that. Some of us, when I challenge you as your pastor, something rises up on the inside of you. But I'm going to challenge you because I love you. And the only reason why God will discipline you is because he loves you. And I'm preaching to try to save you from a Lord's whipping. Have any of y'all ever saved your brother or sister from a whipping before? Have any of y'all ever saved your brother or sister from a whipping before? Have any of y'all ever taken a whipping for your brother or sister before? 
Some of y'all say, I love them, but I don't love them that much, Pastor. <laughs> As your pastor, I'm trying to help you because if you'll judge it, God won't have to come in and discipline you. That's Bible. Watch what this says here. Proverbs 15 and 1. Y'all need to write this one down. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flat. Let's go to the KJV on that Proverbs 15 and 1. Proverbs 15 and 1 from the KJV says, A soft answer does what? Turneth away wrath, but grievous words do what? Stir up anger. Go to, go to Ephesians the fourth chapter, verse 29 through 32. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Don't raise your voice. Remember that soft words turn away anger, but harsh words stir it up. Keep your tone of voice respectful. When you're dealing with this one, issue, you got to keep your tone of voice respectful. Okay? Watch this. Let's, let's, uh, Jay, let's go to the, to the NLV, NLT on this one. And, and I just want to let y'all see it right quick. Okay, watch this. Can y'all read with me? This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to us to do because all scripture is inspired by God. And it's for us today too. But look at what he says. Now, there's an understood you there. So now listen, there is no debate about this. There's no, there's no ambiguity about this. There's no need for clarification about this. It says right off the bat, don't use what? Foul or abusive language. And if you're using foul and abusive language, your tail is wrong. I don't care how mad you get. If you're using foul and abusive language, you are not a quality representative of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there are too many Christians who, whether they're in church or whether they're in the political realm, using foul and abusive language, the vitriol, this political climate is so, so messed up and twisted, it just sickens my gut. Be a leader. I, I may not agree with you, but I'm not going to try to destroy you. And we got so-called Christians. Don't even get me started with that. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. He's talking to the church. So why are you, look at me, why are you using foul and abusive language in your situation? And think it's okay. And think you can just roll up in here and get with it. The discipline of the Lord will come your way. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your, your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Next verse, come on, let's go. It says, and do not bring sorrow to, the Holy, to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved, on, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Next verse. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Say, so get rid of it. If you are a bitter person, if you all you walk around in rage, you're angry all the time, you're always using harsh words, and you're slattering folks' name, get rid of that stuff. Next verse. Watch this. Instead, be what? Kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, 
has to give you. When you have these, this mindset, it sets the stage for church discipline to be carried out in the proper way. Because no, nobody's coming thinking that they're better than anybody else. Nobody's coming thinking that they never sinned themselves. You're coming with the same mindset. I'm going to come to you just like I would want you to come to me. That's what Galatians 6 says. You, you come to them the same way you would want them to come to you. Don't raise your voice, okay? Remember that soft answer turned away anger, but harsh words stir, stir, stir it up. Number 10, never walk away or withdraw or hang up the phone in the middle of confrontation. Okay. So last one. Never walk away or withdraw. Now, I, I will say this. Listen, listen, listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. The best way to get another person to really hear what you're saying is to show honor and respect during the communication. Withdrawing, walking away, hanging up the phone with the person, that shows the opposite. That means I don't want to let me say something. If somebody's cursing you out, being verbally abusive, then I give you commission. Hang the phone up. Okay, don't listen to that garbage. Y'all with me? I don't know why I'm saying this, and I'm not, I'm not sure why that keeps popping up in my spirit, but apparently, somebody up in here has been doing this stuff. I don't know who you are. But I know when I get a check in my spirit, I got some strong cusses and abusive language folk up in this place. And God said it's not right. Poor testimony. Now, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know you're here. I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. And what I'm telling you is it's a poor testimony to curse somebody out and then tell them, do you love Jesus? It just doesn't work. So if somebody's verbally abusive, then I give you commission, hang the phone up. But if somebody, if you're talking through an issue and just because they're saying something that, that you think may not be right or you may not want to hear, because oftentimes we don't like to hear about our own stuff. Just because you don't like to hear, you don't want to hear it. Don't hang up the phone. Don't walk away from it. Don't withdraw. Because you'll never deal with the problem. You never get... Uh, a resolution to it, running away from it. Okay? Now listen, those, those are just 10 things I share with you. Know, next week we'll come back and we'll talk about how we move forward and we're gonna, we'll wrap this up, okay? But I need y'all to hear this. If we're going to effectively meet out church discipline, we got to learn how to do it the right way and we got to view conflict that's not something that's necessarily unhealthy, but it can be healthy. It can be healthy to deal with problems so you can get problems solved. Y'all with me? I'm talking about problems. These are, these are moral issues that were going on in the church. Um, Paul dealt with some issues. Paul, you know, Paul, there were some, some issues that Paul dealt with as it relates to dietary stuff that they were, they were dividing along the lines of whether or not they had eaten certain meats or not. Paul says, you know, listen, eating meats, whether you eat or don't eat, that ain't going to get you saved. Says, but but the one that don't eat, don't be criticizing the one who does eat. Okay. Jesus gave his life for us. He gave it for us out on Calvary. 
And he wants us to be a quality representative of him in this earth realm. He's calling on every last one of us in here to represent him in a God-honoring way. He's calling upon you to represent this church, you EBC members, in a God-honoring way. And you shouldn't be out there in the community, in, you know, doing, it's going to bring shame to the name of Christ. Let's learn how to deal with stuff the right way. I will submit to you that most people don't know how to do this well. Most people, most of you here don't do this very well. That's why I'm teaching it. Most families don't handle it very well. There's some family stuff that's been going on for years. Some, some people won't talk about it. Some do talk about it, and they, but don't talk about it the right way, don't handle it the right way, so it becomes a big uproar. And now you don't want to see them, they don't want to see you. What I'm telling you is, is it's time out for that. You do your part. You cannot control anybody else. Y'all hear me? You can only control you. But if you do, I believe if you do what God is, is, is signing you to do, we can be that salt. We can be that light in that dark situation. We can be the one who brings some clarity and some love of God into the midst of a trifling situation. Let God use you. Give me a hit about it back close.